55 BCE Gaul, present-day France. A holy man named Dougal gazed up at the moon. He idly smoothed his white robe while his fellow Druidic priests gathered in a circle surrounding a massive wooden statue. The blazing torch in Dougal's right hand stung his eyes. Tears streamed down his bearded face as he blinked them away. He looked to his left. The other druids didn't seem bothered by the heat. They must have performed this ritual hundreds of times. They were probably used to the fire and the screams that were sure to follow. Soon, men with swords and whips emerged from the blackness. They herded several prisoners, stripped naked and tied together. Most wailed and begged to be released, but Dougal's attention was drawn to the one who kept his mouth shut. One by one, the guards shoved the men into an unusual jail cell, a giant man made of wicker. It would be their last. Once the prisoners were all inside, the head druid turned to Dougal. He nodded. Hand-shaking, Dougal placed his torch at the feet of the pyre. Within seconds, it caught fire. The prisoners screamed louder. The smell of burning flesh filled the air. The heat increased as Dougal stared into the flames. Eventually, his eyes met those of the silent, stoic man, still unflinching, even while his companions died around him. As the burning wicker man lit up the night, Dougal could no longer tell if the tears stinging his eyes were from the fire or from remorse. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a special one-part episode on the Wicker Men, giant wooden statues believed by some to have existed in ancient Europe. According to legend, the Druids used them for human sacrifice. Today, we'll discuss the ancient accounts of the Wicker Men and their alleged use in ritual execution. We'll also discuss whether these structures were indeed torture devices or if they ever existed in the first place. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The story of the Wicker Men began in 58 BCE with a popular Roman general named Gaius Julius Caesar. 42-year-old Caesar had already served as consul, Rome's head of state. But his policies, though popular amongst the people, made him powerful enemies in the Senate. Some Roman politicians tried to maneuver the ambitious Caesar into a dead-end governorship. But his ambitions were greater than that. Instead, Caesar tried to drum up popular support with a military campaign. He raised 20,000 soldiers and marched north to conquer Gaul, what is now modern-day France. On the warpath, Caesar's legions faced Rome's ancient enemy, the Celts. The term Celts doesn't refer to a single ethnicity or nationality, but rather to a group of related communities who lived as far west as Ireland or Portugal and as far east as Turkey. They shared a common cultural background and spoke similar languages that would later develop into modern Gaelic, Breton, and Welsh. The ancient Celtic tribes had been a thorn in Rome's side for generations. Now the Republic aimed to subdue their troublesome neighbors. So Caesar marched northward in 58 BCE, intent on brutal conquest. Over the next nine years, Caesar waged war across Gaul and the British Isles. During his campaign, he wrote a first-hand account of the experience, titled Commentaries on the Gallic War. Caesar used the text to promote himself and brag about his battle strategies. He also recorded a detailed account of his enemy's culture. Historians agree that the Celts practiced a form of paganism, with multiple gods and rituals aligned with the changing of the seasons. Some of their celebrations even survive in modern forms, such as Halloween. Their priests, called Druids, presided over all of these ceremonies. And according to Caesar, they practiced human sacrifice. In Book 6 of his account, Caesar said that the Celts were wildly superstitious. If their tribe fell prey to disease or if they lost significant battles, they performed ritual murder to appease the gods. He capped off these allegations with a sensational retelling of a burnt offering. Caesar said that they have figures of vast size, the limbs of which formed of osiers they fill with living men, which, being set on fire, the men perish, enveloped in the flames. Osiers are a type of European tree used to make woven baskets out of springy wood or wicker. So the structure Caesar described was a wicker man. And he ended the haunting passage with an unsettling conclusion. Though this fiery demise was largely reserved for criminals, if none were available, the druids would sacrifice the innocent. These stories of murderous heathens spread across the Roman territories and helped rally support for Caesar's conquest. Bolstered by endorsements, Caesar continued to write and cut a bloody swath across the European continent. His assault was so devastating, the various Celtic tribes unified to try to fight off the Roman invaders. Their leader was a 30-year-old general known by the name of Vercingetorix. 
Vercingetorix gave Caesar a run for his money. The chieftain won a key battle early in the war, but his triumph was short-lived. Fueled by a conviction that Rome was superior to these northern tribes, Caesar's legions fought even harder. Eventually, the Roman army cornered Vercingetorix at the hilltop city of Alesia. Caesar's troops built two walls around the town, a roughly 10-mile-long wall to box Vercingetorix in, and a 14-mile-long one to keep Celtic reinforcements out. This proved wise because, before long, thousands of soldiers emerged in the distance, ready to slaughter the outnumbered Romans. Though vulnerable on two sides, Caesar made a gamble. He sent his cavalry out to flank the enemy. As his horses attacked the reinforcements, the Romans burst forth from their fortress, charging their foes in a show of unrivaled bravery. Every legionnaire and centurion fought with the knowledge that if their foes captured them, they might be burned alive. The gambit paid off. The Celts panicked and fled, and Rome bested the last pocket of resistance in Gaul. According to the historian Cassius Dio, after the battle, the now-defeated Vercingetorix approached the Roman camp alone. Astride his horse and dressed in his finest armor, he rode around the enemy until he had their attention. Then, outside the gates, he dismounted. The legions watched, transfixed. The imposing nobleman didn't say a word as he removed his armor and knelt on the ground, surrendering. Caesar took Vercingetorix into custody. Six years later, the man who'd united the Celts was paraded through Rome before being garroted, strangled in prison. But although the Gallic Wars were over and their leader dead, the Celtic people still followed the Druidic traditions and the Romans continued to write about them. Around the time of Caesar's bloody demise in approximately 44 BCE, a young geographer named Strabo began putting together an account of the known world. Strabo was a member of an affluent political household and a philosopher with a passion for exploration. He spent decades writing his life's work, the Geographica. Strabo documented pretty much everything he could find about geography and foreign cultures, even second- or third-hand information. Though he never went to Gaul, he wrote about its people. We don't know the exact date that he finished Geographica, but like Caesar's commentaries, it too portrayed the Gauls as a wild, bloodthirsty people. Strabo even made the second surviving reference to the Wicker Men. He said that the Druids would devise a colossus of straw and wood, throw into the colossus cattle and wild animals of all sorts and human beings, and then make a burnt offering of the whole thing. Once again, a popular Roman writer portrayed Celtic society as cruel and savage, and the stereotype stuck. Over the subsequent generations, the Celts' religion slowly faded from public memory. Their writings and runes didn't survive to the present day. Christian evangelists would later distort or desecrate evidence of their pagan ancestors. Eventually, Almost all the original records of the Druids faded from existence. And their rituals, including those that may have been associated with the Wicker Men, were lost to time. At least the first-hand accounts disappeared. 
But Caesar and Strabo's passages lived on in the popular imagination. In the 1700s, an artist named Thomas Pennant made a horrifying engraving illustrating the human sacrifice. Like the story itself, it's vivid and disturbing, and even features a singular naked woman standing off to the side in tears. This wasn't a historic recreation, so much as a sensationalized imagining of the ritual designed to scare Christians with the specter of pagan cruelty. Hundreds of years later, in the 1970s, a screenwriter named Anthony Schaefer struggled to complete a horror movie script about pagan human sacrifice. Something about the story wasn't coming together. He turned to old text about the Druids for inspiration and finally found the image that would make his movie work. Thus, the 1973 film The Wicker Man was born. In it, a Scottish policeman arrives in a small pagan town searching for a missing little girl. Over the course of his investigation, the townspeople mentally torture him before burning him alive in the titular monument. The movie terrified a new generation and reinforced the idea of druids as murdering heathens. The wicker man in the film isn't made of wicker, but logs, sticks, and modern construction materials like metal bolts and screws. Though it makes sense in the narrative, these materials obviously weren't available to the ancient Celts. In fact, the most accurate depiction of the ritual doesn't appear on the silver screen, but in the real world. The hippie movement of the 60s and 70s saw a resurgence of paganism as mystics and spiritualists found meaning in ancient folklore. So-called neo-pagans co-opted many ancient practices, including those of the Celts. And one such appropriated ritual was the burning of the wicker man. The modern wicker man was almost nothing like those of Caesar or Strabo's accounts. In these ceremonies, Neo-pagans constructed a giant wooden statue, sometimes of wicker, other times of logs or grass. Once the structure was finished, they, well, burned it, or sometimes blew it up. Fortunately, none of these modern incarnations involve human sacrifice, but they do share one ancient tradition, the ceremonial bonfire. Modern wicker men come in all shapes, ranging from human-sized to as tall as 46 feet. The most famous appears at the Bohemian cultural touchstone, Burning Man, named for obvious reasons. The annual festival began in 1986 when some San Francisco hippies burned a giant wooden statue on a beach. After doing this for years, the police evicted them. They moved to Nevada, where the countercultural celebration has grown ever since. To be clear, Burning Man's Burning Man doesn't have a direct pagan connection, but it still serves as a symbol for people who seek to find joy outside the constraints of mainstream society. The image still has power 2,000 years after the Romans conquered the Celtic people. But do modern Wicker Man celebrations capture the revelry of the pagan traditions, or do they gloss over a history of brutal human sacrifice? Perhaps our symbols have darker histories than we realize. Up next, we examine whether the Wicker Man truly was a horrific method of murder or a figment of the Roman imagination. 
Listeners, do I have a mystifying new show for you. It's called Superstitions, and it explores the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow. It's so eerie, I know you'll love it. Every Wednesday, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why shouldn't you say Macbeth in a theater? What evil gets triggered when you walk under an open ladder? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem cryptic or illogical or completely insane, but then again, do they? Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use gift mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now back to the story. In the 50s BCE, the Celtic tribes of Europe practiced a form of paganism, one that placed power in the hands of priests, the mysterious Druids. Roman accounts claimed that they practiced human sacrifice, occasionally by building a giant wooden man, filling it with people and animals, and burning it to ash. This is the story that lives on in the popular imagination that the wicker man was a unique form of pyre meant to immolate living offerings. Caesar and Strabo's accounts are the main historical evidence for wicker men, since, for obvious reasons, none of these monuments survived to modern day. However, there is other evidence that the Celts performed human sacrifice. The Roman poet Lucan claimed that the Druids slaughtered people for their gods. In his account of one of the Roman civil wars, He explained that three deities accepted offerings in three ways. Teotatis by drowning, Jesus by impaling, and Tyrannus by burning. A wooden effigy consecrated to Tyrannus would be a bit theatrical, sure, but it would get the job done. And beyond these written accounts, there's even physical evidence that the Celts ritually murdered people. In 2000, a team of researchers found 11 human skull fragments at the site of an ancient Celtic settlement in southern France. Chemical analysis of the skulls revealed that six fragments contained traces of resin, which might have been applied for the purpose of preservation. This suggests that the Celts deliberately beheaded their prisoners. According to Roman chroniclers, Warriors would dangle their enemies' severed heads from their horses' necks. If the head had belonged to someone important or notable, they would embalm it, preserving the evidence of their victory over a worthy foe. So we know the Celts practice capital punishment. 
and other discoveries suggest that they also killed for religious reasons. Numerous archaeologists have recovered Celtic bodies buried alongside animals. Historians take this as evidence that people and animals were ritually killed together to appease the gods. After all, animal sacrifice was common at the time. If the Druids had to bury the leftovers, they might as well inter them with the humans used for the same purpose. But the best evidence of ritual murder can be found in Europe's marshlands. Every few decades, some researcher comes across human remains nestled in the mire. These so-called bog bodies are incredibly well-preserved, so they're an excellent source of information about the ancient world. For a more comprehensive overview of what archaeologists have found, you can listen to our previous Unexplained Mysteries episode on bog bodies or the Heslington brain. Scientists today estimate that hundreds of these preserved corpses have been found. Excavators have unearthed many of these in the rich peat of Ireland, a Celtic land that Rome never conquered. Several Irish bog bodies bear the marks of violent deaths, like blows to the skull and neck. Maybe this is evidence of foul play, or of state-sanctioned executions. It's hard to say for sure, because the evidence is so scarce. That lack of information applies to the Wickermen as well. There isn't enough evidence to say for sure whether or not pagans ever burnt people alive. If these sacrifices were as common as Caesar and Strabo made them out to be, then all of the other relevant information must have gone up in smoke with them, so to speak. Assuming they ever even happened. The Roman world understood very little of Celtic paganism. So the Druids' rituals were probably just as strange and mysterious to Caesar and Strabo as they are to us now. It's possible that rituals like the supposed burning of the Wicker Man were misinterpreted. Or propaganda concocted by Romans to paint their enemies as barbaric savages. Detailed records of the Druids' religious ceremonies haven't survived to the modern day, meaning we mostly have to rely on the testimony of the Celts' enemies. So we need to account for the context behind those stories, which, especially in Caesar's case, isn't easy to do. Julius Caesar didn't necessarily write the commentaries on the Gallic War to be an accurate historical record. He wrote it to serve his political ambitions. As we mentioned before, Caesar had a lot of enemies in the Senate, and he knew they'd take him down if they got a chance. So, to bolster his own power, he wrote self-glorifying accounts to get grassroots support. Caesar's commentaries on the Gallic War was essentially a public relations stunt. His war stories helped Caesar keep people informed of how well he was doing, stoke their national pride, and make him a hero of the Roman public. And it worked. Twice. Even after the Senate murdered him seven years later, Caesar's hold on the people's hearts was so strong that they started a civil war to avenge him. But while he was alive, he needed to maintain this image. And to make himself look good, Caesar distorted some of the facts. In reality, his legions frequently massacred whole cities, indiscriminately slaughtering Celts by the thousands. Of course, he couldn't present this information as it was 
or the public would see his campaign as one of the most brutal genocides of their era. Instead, Caesar needed to make his enemies look evil by comparison. So he portrayed the Celts as savage and barbaric. Imagine you're a random citizen of Rome hearing about the former consul's military exploits. You're much more likely to forgive Caesar's brutality if you believe that these Gauls regularly committed human sacrifice by burning people alive. Caesar said that the victims of the Wicker Man rituals were criminals, murderers, and thieves. Yet he added that if there were no criminals available, the Druids would sacrifice the innocent. The image would surely strike terror into the hearts of Roman civilians. It would be an effective tool to convince people that taming the wild Celtic lands was not only just, but necessary. Decades later, Strabo may have based his account in Geographica on Caesar's report. He likely would have regarded Caesar's narrative as authoritative. The fact that the propaganda reinforced Roman supremacy was just a bonus. This type of slander against conquered native peoples is incredibly common in imperial history, even outside of Europe. A great example comes from the Arabian traders who wrote about ancient China. The merchants claimed that the Chinese people were savages and cannibals. Other, less biased accounts from the same time period clearly disprove the allegations that they ate human flesh. The Indian Ocean was rife with stories like this. When travelers from large seafaring nations came across local tribes, they would commonly describe the natives as man-eaters, whether it was true or not. Like Caesar's Chronicles, this was an easy way to instill a sense of revulsion at the unknown customs of faraway lands. But the comparison doesn't quite fit perfectly. After all, accounts of cannibalism don't require a stretch of imagination. But a complex, sanctioned slaughter is a more dramatic fabrication, and one that probably didn't come out of nowhere. It's like the difference between writing fan fiction and constructing an original story. But the Wicker Man isn't the only historical torture device that may have been a propagandic invention. The other example we have comes from ancient Greece, the Brazen Bull. In Sicily, in approximately 560 BCE, a tyrant named Phalaris supposedly used a bronze bull to torture his enemies to death. The mechanism was hollow with a door on the side. The unfortunate individual would be locked inside and Phalaris's men would light a fire underneath. The metal eventually superheated, roasting the victim to death. Ironically, Phalaris allegedly used the brazen bull to kill its own creator for the crime of inventing it. This grisly means of torture appears in the chronicles written by Pindar and Diodorus Siculus. These men lived 100 and 500 years after the alleged events in question. They weren't eyewitnesses. They merely passed along the stories that they'd already heard. And like with the Wicker Man, no archeologist has ever found the remnants of these death bulls. Consequently, some historians theorize that Phalaris's subjects invented the Brazen Bull story in order to paint him as an over-the-top villain. They later revolted and killed him, so whatever he was doing must have been pretty nasty, 
even if it didn't involve a bovine breast barbecue. In other words, people have always found ways to torment one another, but accounts that depict unique or complicated execution methods might just be exaggerations. Modern pagan author Nimue Brown criticizes the idea that giant wicker statues were used as burnt offerings. She's even helped build similar giants and claims from experience that it is ludicrously difficult to construct such a structure. It's even more ludicrous considering they were meant to be destroyed. She theorizes it would be even harder to put something the size and weight of an animal inside it. Though that part was pure speculation. Hopefully. Even if you did manage to seal the future sacrifice into the wicker man and set it on fire, you'd face a whole new set of problems. Brown notes that when woven wicker catches fire, it loses its structural integrity. And unlike burning someone at the stake, the fire would have to eat through the cage before it would reach the victim. During this process, the statue springs apart and collapses pretty rapidly. So any unrestrained person or animal could easily escape, although they might get badly singed in the process. It's possible that the sacrifices were unconscious when thrown inside, but it's unlikely they'd stay that way. The Druids of 100 BCE probably didn't have access to sedatives strong enough to make someone sleep through their own immolation. So the Wicker Man accounts, while compelling, don't make much practical sense. It's tempting to dismiss the stories of human sacrifice entirely, except Julius Caesar is a somewhat reliable narrator. He certainly played up his victories and minimized his defeats, but he didn't tend to invent stories out of whole cloth. For example, let's examine Caesar's account of his victory at Alicia. He claimed that he demanded the chieftains hand over their leader, and in response, they took Vercingetorix prisoner and surrendered him. However, others in the army told the story of Vercingetorix riding out in his gilded armor and nobly turning himself in. One of these stories involves Caesar striding victorious over his vanquished foes. The other involves a beaten general making a dramatic statement in defeat. Many historians argue that Caesar's version is the fabricated one. He didn't want to make Vercingetorix look like a noble general and therefore made his loss seem humiliating. However, in spite of the revisionist history, the end result is the same. Vercingetorix lost and Caesar took him prisoner. The gist of the story is true, even if Caesar exaggerated the details. Caesar would also report when he lost battles, even though he occasionally fudged the numbers on how many men perished. He told half-truths rather than outright lies. And his account of the wicker men was pretty charitable, considering he was talking about his enemies. He said that the majority of those burned were criminals. If he was trying to invent reasons for the Romans to hate the Celts, it would serve him better to say that they indiscriminately killed people. He probably exaggerated when he said they put innocents in the pyres if they didn't have any criminals to sacrifice. Though archaeologists have discovered hundreds of Celtic bodies in bogs and burial grounds, there's no evidence that they chose their victims arbitrarily. 
most damningly, Julius Caesar probably never witnessed a pagan sacrifice himself. He spent nearly a decade waging war against the Celts, so it's highly unlikely that he'd get an invite to a Druidic ceremony. Which means Caesar and Strabo may have acquired their information from an older historical text, one that no longer exists. So their accounts might have been documenting something real, but with potentially unreliable information. Maybe the truth was already twisted long before Caesar used it to suit his political ends. Perhaps the wicker men were real, but their purpose was different than anything we'd expect. Up next, we see if there are any elements of truth to the legends. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now back to the story. Around 100 to 40 BCE, a couple of key Romans wrote about Druidic human sacrifice featuring a wicker man. The most notable surviving account comes from Julius Caesar's commentary on the Gallic Wars. However, people have questioned its accuracy. Importantly, Caesar never claimed to have witnessed such an event firsthand. His retelling is probably based on the account of Posidonius, a Greek politician, philosopher, and historian who visited Gaul decades before Caesar did. Early Roman explorers, while visiting the Celts, might have seen these giant wicker statues in villages and settlements. These were nothing like the religious monuments in Rome, so the visitors would immediately start speculating amongst themselves and perhaps ask the locals what the structures were for. Maybe Posidonius started a rumor or someone else told it to him. Either way, he made the connection that this wicker statue could be a perfect vessel if someone wanted to burn prisoners alive. He could have then written it down, perhaps without ever seeing the sacrifice in question. Or Posidonius and similar explorers did witness the ritual, but only from a distance. They could have been camped out in a field and from far away, they spotted a figure wreathed in fire. The burning man surrounded by chanting druids would likely be a scene like nothing the Romans had ever seen before. If they weren't close enough to tell exactly what was going on, they might have guessed that the Celts were using this wicker man to sacrifice people to their gods. The Romans already believed that the Celts were warlike savages, uncivilized and cruel. It's only natural that they'd start the rumor that their northern enemies would perform this type of bone-chilling ritual. Now imagine that decades later, Julius Caesar rode through a defeated Celtic city and saw a giant wicker statue. 
He turned to his nearest lieutenant and asked about it. The dutiful soldier described the barbaric ritual of the wicker man, as told by Posidonius and reinforced by common superstition and belief. It's also possible that Caesar had a copy of Posidonius's account of the Celts with him and drew conclusions from that. The problem was that Posidonius wrote about the Druids around 100 to 90 BCE, whereas Caesar didn't enter Gaul until at least 42 years later. So the information he included in his contemporary summary would have been at least outdated, if not misinformed. Even though 42 years isn't a lot of time for religious traditions to change, it does happen. Imagine an explorer visiting 2020 America working off of knowledge from the late 70s. They'd say that in the United States, same-sex marriage is illegal and Times Square is a nest of drug dealers and strip clubs. The writer could then go on to claim that this makes America a country of barbarians. And some historians argue that this is exactly what Julius Caesar did. Even if wicker man ceremonies were still happening in Caesar's time, they were probably very rare. The wooden statues required a lot of resources and time to assemble. Modern pagans argue about the practicality of such a sacrifice. It would have been much easier for the Druids to behead their prisoners rather than build a statue to set aflame. Plus, there's no evidence that the Celts ever burned people alive. That said, there's very little evidence from Celtic culture, period. And modern critics have their own biases, too. In a counter-imperial narrative, it's tempting to rewrite the story to support your own agendas, like recasting your Celtic ancestors as more peaceful and high-minded than the bloodthirsty Romans. But the fact that the Celts were subjugated under Roman rule doesn't erase their faults. It just makes both cultures equally guilty of their own unique barbarities. Wicker statues may actually have been a part of certain Druidic rituals, but their meaning has been lost to time. Of all the competing explanations, it seems most likely that Romans only ever saw the fires from afar and concocted their own xenophobic stories. And even if victims were burned alive inside, the ceremony could have served a practical purpose, like capital punishment. This renders Julius Caesar's account of barbaric Celts as quite hypocritical, especially given how cruel he was on the battlefield. By the end of his campaign, Caesar's legions had killed hundreds of thousands of Celts. Some estimates say his army slaughtered up to a million Gauls and Britons and sold a million more into slavery. This was no small percentage of the Celtic population exterminated by a single genocidal military campaign. For centuries afterward, Rome continued suppressing Celtic culture and often murdered the Druids and destroyed their monuments. And as Christianity made its way across Europe, the ceremonies of the Druids largely faded into myth. Though we compared the wicker man to the brazen bull earlier, the more accurate parallel might be the cross. A former instrument of torture and execution has been transformed into something celebratory, which brings people together rather than reduce them to ruins. Such an optimistic read may come across as tone-deaf. After all, if you were being sacrificed by the Gauls, 
it would be strange to think your means of death would later be used as a religious symbol. The same could be said of the many people Julius Caesar crucified. But we'll never know for sure. We've lost so much from the Celtic world that all we have left are two vague yet distinct versions of the Wicker Man, the disturbing death machine and the celebratory spectacle. One evil, one good. Most of the time, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, so we shouldn't let either overly simplistic story dominate the mythology. There's enough room in the world for both, so long as we remember the sacrifices we make to keep our own cultures alive. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. For more information on The Wicker Man, amongst the many sources we used, we found Julius Caesar's commentaries on the Gallic Wars extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Billy Pace, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Matthew Teamstra, with writing assistance by Angela Jorgensen and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Brad Klein and Brian Petrus. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Bad omens, good fortune, pure luck. Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.